Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. This is what God did for us. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared. Can I point out that it doesn't say, but one day you got your act together. But one day you made it up in your mind that that was going to be it. But one day, it doesn't say anything about you at the conjunction. When everything turns around, notice that it's not about you. Notice that you're not the one that that brought it about. It says, but when the kindness of and the love of God appeared, when God's goodness, right? It's, the Bible says it's the goodness of God. Has God proven himself to be good to you? Do you remember the first time that God's love appeared to you? What a glorious day. In today's message, Pastor Bill challenges us to remember how God saved us and notice that we had nothing to do except to respond to His love. God is so good. His goodness extends towards us, causes us to be humble. Thank God that He loved us enough to chase us down and capture our hearts. Let's remember to humbly thank Him for the good work He did in us. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Titus chapter 3 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. For you guys that have been following along with us, we went through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, now we're in Titus. Where was Titus being sent to go establish churches and leadership? To Crete. Uh, what do we remember? Anybody remember? What do you guys know about Crete? What were the people in Crete like? Were they nice people? Were they holy folk? What were, what were the people in Crete like? They were nasty. What up? Gluttonous. Evil beasts. They were liars. And, and that was their own people saying that. So... You know, that, that's how you, it'd be like, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard it, people say from Inglewood, Inglewood up to what? No good. No good. That's not true. But that's what people from Inglewood say. So when people from your own hometown say it, it's like, man, y'all really bad. So it's important to note that God wanted to establish a work of God in an area where there was a great need. People were wicked. People were doing things that were not right. Um, Paul gave Tim- Titus very clear instructions on the type of people that would be raised up to do the ministry. So we got qualifications for elders and leaders, what the type, kind of men that they needed to be. And we looked at that in the earlier part of the book, just um, the, the way they needed to run their household. Last week, we looked at just order within the fellowship, the roles of men and women. And we looked at the older men, the older women. You guys remember that? The younger men, the younger women and um, how they were supposed to conduct themselves as a body of Christ. And today in chapter three, it opens up with remind them. And he's going to remind them. We've got several different topics we're going to cover. So we're going to jump right in. Chapter three, verse one. Titus says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work. You're going to see over and over again the theme of good work. But I want to first talk about that first thing. He says, remind them to be subject to the rulers and the authorities to obey. Uh, pretty controversial time in our history uh, where there are lots of things going on between police and people, people on both sides of the opinion. There's a group over here that says everybody to get beat up by the cops shouldn't have got beat up by the cops. A group over here that said, you know, just you got groups that are on both sides. They're both ignorant. I'm going to tell you right now, there's 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 wrong attitudes on both ends of it. But God says here to the believers, teach them to be subject to the authorities. Now, I know that there's some wrongdoings in the government, and I know that there's some wrongdoings by police officers caught on tape. But a lot of what I see, it's, it's, it usually starts off like, you might see somebody get beat by the cops. Not all the time, but a lot of times it starts off with stop and what they don't stop. 
Be still, and they won't be still. Stop resisting, and they start swinging. And then afterwards, you're looking at the outfall like, they, why'd they beat him like that? Because he wouldn't stop moving. You know, um, sometimes that's the case, not always the case. But it says, look, as a Christian, teach people to be subject to the authorities. When I'm going to teach my sons, I'm not going to teach my sons to buck against the system. I'm not going to teach my sons, you know, if the cop pull you over, you smart, sass them and talk to them, you know your rights. No, no, no. When they pull you over, you act like you got some sense. You speak your best English. You say, yes, sir. You provide whatever is necessary. You make sure you are abiding by the law before you interacted with them. You will be all right in most cases. And if not, then we'll deal with that then. I'm not encouraging the other. You know, I'm not encouraging us to, you know, uh, just to have this chip on our shoulder. So it's important to know as believers, God would have us to submit to the government, submit to the authorities, the things that he's put in place. Now, at this time, was the, was the government godly? No, just like today. So it wasn't like it was super godly back then. And God said, so submit to him because authorities are godly. He knew back then they weren't godly. When he told the believers that were subject to Rome, they wanted Jesus to obliterate the Roman government because they were wicked and they treated Christians bad. But God said, no, just roll with it. It'll be okay." In Romans chapter 13, he speaks about that. He tells them that they're to submit to the governing authorities that those people have been put in place by God. And so we want to have that as the attitude of our heart as Christians. If you're writing notes, write down Romans chapter 13, uh, verses one through five. And I'll read it to you. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will be judged. I'm sorry. Those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for your conscience sake. So God's heart is that Christians, we wouldn't be the group out there bucking against the system, that we would be doing our best to abide within the laws, respect the authorities that be. And even when the men in the offices are wicked, that we would recognize that they're under God. That's the thing that people forget. I can look at the wicked people in authority, but do you guys know when you look at the, the history of the Bible, sometimes God needed wicked men in charge to accomplish his purpose. When Daniel was alive, the people in charge of Daniel, they were wicked people. And it made Daniel shine in that dark place, in that dark era where it was a, there was abominable practices. There was pagan things going on. But Daniel said, I'm not eating that mess. I'm not doing that. And he stood out and, and God honored him in that case. God didn't remove the wicked authority. God caused Daniel to shine in the midst of it. So, too, for us today, we, we could fight against it, which is what the world would stir us up to do. Um, but God would say, I'd, I'd have you to live in the light in the midst of it. And so he tells them again, remind them to be this way. Remind them not to be out there fighting with these folks. Remind them to be subject to the rulers and the authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work. And this is the reason why I want you to be ready to do good works. I don't want y'all stirred up out there fighting. I can't be out there socking police and folks. God said, I, I got some good works for you guys to be doing. You are the church. You represent me in a godless generation. I want your hand to be to the plow doing good things. And so the church has to be careful about the things that we get wrapped up in at times. Um, you guys know me. I'm very not political. 
um, I, I don't believe that this thing right here is a political platform. This thing right here is a platform for the gospel. You guys didn't come here to learn my opinions about the people in charge and whatnot. You guys came to hear from God about his word. That's what this is for. And so I would never cheapen this with some of that stuff. This is this is eternal. This will change my life. This will this will conform. This will transform us from what we were into what God wants us to be. God says, give him give him my word. And so, again, he says, I want you to be ready for every good work. There are things I have called you guys to do. There are things I want you to be busy doing. Let that be the focus. Verse two, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. And so there he says, I, I want you to be people that don't speak evil of anyone. You might want to write that down. Some of y'all need to highlight it. <laughs> speak evil of no one. Um, that means for you guys that like to talk smack about people, for you guys that like to get on the phone, girl, did you know? I don't know why I started with girl, because I, I know some guys that do it too. You know what I'm saying, bro? Did you hear it? But is it speak evil of no one, right? That, that we shouldn't be. We're Christians. We're believers. We shouldn't be those that are talking trash, talking, speaking evil about other people. Now, I, I'm just going to go ahead and go there. So um, within the church, one of the things that sadly people outside the church recognize about their, all those people, they just be talking and people might know people from a church and they ain't even say the people from the church are talking smack about the people at church. Why they want to ever come to your church? When they hear that kind of stuff going on. So I know y'all don't do this, but I hear about this at other churches. So, you know, but we want to be careful that we don't carry on like that. God said, man, don't speak evil of anyone. That just, can I speak evil about evil people? He said, don't speak evil about anyone. So I'm even cautious of this. There are people in government, people in authority that I strongly disagree with. Their stances and their positions and their actions. God said, that's fine. But don't make it your job to speak evil of them. Pray for them, right? What are you supposed to do for the governing authorities and the people that are above us in that way? The Bible says pray for them. A lot of times Christians are the worst ones. Talk about them. You go on people's Facebook and they just bad mouthing every authority, every person. And it's like, you're supposed to be praying. That's not what you're supposed to God didn't call you to the ministry of spreading, you know, how horrible they are. God said pray for them. Pray for them. Speak evil of no one. So, you know, that you find that your lips roll in that direction. You be talking smack about people. You should repent of that today. God said, cut that mess out. Don't do that. Don't speak evil of other people. Say amen. amen. I say, I agree. I'm going to stop it. I repent today. All right. Verse two, verse three. He says this. Oh, I, I, I should point this out. If you're writing notes, Exodus 22, 28, they were told there that they wouldn't speak evil of, of, of a ruler of those who are in charge. And over in Acts 23, five, Paul, Paul accidentally spoke evil of a guy, realized who he was, then he apologized for it. Now, I just wanted to point that out because the guy was evil. And the thing Paul said was true. But when Paul recognized that he was authority, he said, oh, I shouldn't have said that. My bad. He recanted because he knew that the word said, don't do that. And so that's just a, a, a living example. We, we don't want to be speaking evil of the authorities. That's not, that doesn't glorify God. So verse three, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This is the reason why, right? We're going to get a real brief synopsis of the gospel applied to us. What you were before you met Christ, the nature of salvation, how you got saved, and what God wants you to do since you've been saved. We're going to get that in, in the next, between verse 3 and verse 8. 
But God says, here, look, this is what you were like. As he tells you, don't talk smack about other people. Don't speak evil of other people. Don't speak evil of the governing authorities and the people that are in charge of you that are not right with God. He says, because why? He said, because remember what you used to be? Did you forget what you were before you got saved? Have you forgotten how you used to live? And he says, for you yourselves, or we ourselves, he adds himself, we were also once foolish. That could be the sad thing for Christians. We sometimes forget what we were before we got saved. Somebody's going to get saved for a little while and you forget, you know, you could have been way out smoking crack. Now you see somebody with a cigarette. I can't believe she smoked cigarettes. Like you, you remember what you used to smoke? You know, did you forget what you used to do? We have to be careful that we don't become pharisaical in our walk with the Lord. That God said, remember what you were. Remember what it was like when you were lost, when you didn't know me. Remember what that was like? Remember how you lived? Remember how reckless you were? So when you see someone today where you used to be, there should be a heart that says, man, let me pray for them. Let me see what I can do to help them. Um, and so not, not speaking evil of them, but, but the heart should change. So he's giving this as a reason. So again, this is, what the, this is what we were like, they were like as non-believers. We were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That kind of sums it up. That's the life of a non-believer. You deceive. You don't know what you're doing. You're dis you're disobedient. You're going after various lust and pleasures, um, hating people and being hated by other people. Um, that's the life of the non-believer. But then we get a in verse four, we get a glorious conjunction. But and whenever you see but it just everything changes. So this is what you were. This is how you live. Horrible, awful, deceitful, nasty, sinning. But this is what God did for us. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared. Can I point out that it doesn't say, but one day you got your act together, but one day you made it up in your mind that that was going to be it, but one day, it doesn't say anything about you at the conjunction. When everything turns around, notice that it's not about you. Notice that you're not the one that, that brought it about. It says, but when the kindness of, and the love of God appeared. When God's goodness, right? So the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So somewhere along the way for everybody here that say you were out there doing whatever you're doing. I said, man, one day, think about that. Remember what that day was for you when the kindness of God showed up. God's goodness towards you. You weren't looking for most of us weren't even looking for God when we got saved. That's why I never say I found the Lord. Right. Was he lost? No, I was lost. I, I got found. Right? I was once lost. Now I'm found. That's how the testimony goes. So. God said, look, this is this is what I did for you when my kindness showed up to you. And I would challenge everybody here to, to re remember that. What, what was it like? How did God meet you? How did he open your where were you at? What state of life were you in? What were you doing when God met you? It should minister to you because most of us will find that we weren't in a particularly holy place. We weren't in a position of, you know, I look at my life when I got saved. The just the condition that I was in, I was it was nothing holy about it. I wasn't going to church. I wasn't seeking after God. I was getting drunk every day. I was selling weed and doing credit card scams for money. I was living with a girl that wasn't my wife. And that was just living in habitual rebellion and sin. And then God came then and he met me. I mean, there was nothing about my life at that juncture that said, this guy is almost ready to get saved and, and become a pastor one day. But God just came, came to me. Sent a buddy in my apartment building. He came to me at that time. I got to remember that. That I didn't go looking for the Lord. The Lord came and found me. What well, that should humble you. You should be. We should. That's why Christians ought to be just thankful people. So thankful. God, I'm thank, thank you that you didn't leave me out there. When I see non-believers, when I see somebody really lost, 
When I see somebody doing what I used to do, I got to look and say, God, thank you. Thank you for thank you for snatching me out of it. And then my heart for them should be different, too. Lord, help them. I'm going to see if I can share with them. I'm going to see if I can tell them about you because someone told me about you and it changed my life. And so that's the motivation for evangelism and reaching out, recognizing what God did for me. And God, God's method of having the good news of the gospel shared is that people that have received it would share it. So when I see somebody that's what I used to be, instead of talking smack, instead of speaking evil, instead of feeling self-righteous about myself, what I should be doing is saying, man, wouldn't it be so great if they could know what I know? Wouldn't it be so wonderful if they could be set free like I was set free? Let me at least share it with them. Let me begin to pray for them. Let me begin to reach out to them. And, and, and maybe I get to be the person through whom God uses. God speaks through to see this person come out of their darkness into his marvelous light. And so, again, he reminds them of what they were before him. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared, verse five, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So it points out in verse five that it was not about it was not by our works of righteousness. Some people are willing to work really hard to try to try to right the wrongs. You know, some people get caught in that that transition. The, the way I'm going to get right with God is I'm going to work really, 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 really hard. To overcome, like I know I was really bad, so now I'm gonna just do all this stuff right here. And God says, Don't do that. Can you earn salvation? No. Can you work hard enough for it? No. It's the wrong way to do it. You never work hard for God, hoping that God will then, now, now I'll be saved. You know, I'm gonna become a pastor so that way I know I'm saved. It doesn't work like that. The way it's supposed to go is this I've, I've, I've already been saved. I've already received God's grace for nothing. He, his goodness upon me for nothing. His mercy in my life just because he wanted to be merciful in my life. And now I'm, as a recipient of all these wonderful, great gifts that I don't deserve, now God, can I do something for you, Lord? Like, what would please you? What would bless you? I've already got everything you can give me. I'm already saved. I'm already secure. I'm already set apart. I'm already going to heaven when I die. But I'd love to spend the rest of this life glorifying you with it. I love to do something that blesses you for, for the rest of my time on this earth. That's the, the heart. We serve the Lord out of response to his goodness. God, you've already been good. I can never earn any more favor from God, right? Me doing what I do doesn't put me in a more favorable position than whatever you do for the Lord. We're exactly the same. God's favor in my life is just like his favor upon your God's been good to all of us. His mercy to all of us, his grace to all of us. And so we all get to respond to his goodness, his grace. God, that's the way I want it to be. When you get into a place where you feel like I'm going to do this, I'm going to work really hard. That's what we call legalism. That's where people start getting real righteous. That's where a lot of the cults do. Most cults lean heavily upon what you got to do to continue to earn favor with God. And that's why the Jehovah's Witnesses, you ever see them out there and just think, man, they work really hard. And a lot of people will say, man, if we as Christians will go as hard as them, you know, we should look how hard they're going. But you know why they're going so hard? Because they're not secure yet. Right. They're still hoping every walk down the block, every every day standing in front of Winchell's Donuts, they're hoping that they might gain favor with God, that they might get to be one of the lucky that go to heaven. What a horrible way to live. They don't know they're going. We know that they're not. But they, they're out there hoping. I, I hope I go. I hope I hope I get to be one of that 144,000 number. If it was true, that number was filled uh, eons ago, you know. But anyway, that's what a sad reality for them. But for us, we, we have we have the truth. Like, I know I'm saved. I know heaven is my home. I know the best day of my life 
is going to be the day I die or I get raptured. I get to be in heaven. So for the rest of this life, God, here, have it. I spent so much of it jacking up. But now you took hold of my life. You saved me. You forgave me. You received me in the in the, to the midst of my mess. And now my life is not what it used to be. Not because I made up my mind, but because God put his hand upon my life and total act of mercy, total act of grace. There really can't be any pride. Can I be proud about that? I can be thankful. I can be a worshiper, but I can't be proud. I can't be proud of something I didn't do. God did the work. Every one of us is saved. Who saved you? Jesus. Who did the work to save you? Jesus. So it causes us to be, we should all, at the cross, everybody's kind of equal, right? As we all come to the cross, we all come as sinners. We all come needing forgiveness. We all come needing salvation. We have to all be humbled. And nobody gets to walk away from the cross better than the guy next to him or the girl next to him. We all walk away just blessed. God, thank you for what you did for us. We're all the same. And as we go back out to the world of sinners, right, they all need what we just got. So they need the very same thing that we just have received from the Lord. So, again, he reminds them of what they were. But when the kindness and the love of our, our God, of God, our Savior, appeared towards men, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but what? But according to his mercy, according to mercy, his mercy, he saved us. Mercy is a beautiful thing. The simple definition of mercy is not getting what you deserve. What is every Christian? Everybody here. What do we deserve? Death and hell. Right. We earned it. The wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. We all earned death. But God's mercy. None of us are going to die. But the believer, we're going to die, you know, physical death. But but for the believer, death is how we get to heaven. So death is not a bummer for the Christian. I, I was at a funeral Friday for my aunt. That's a, she died at 104, which is that's a good long life. And she was right up until the end. She had all her wit. She can still talk smack. You know, she can still, you know, clown jokes. She was, you know, that, that she had it all all the way to the end. The big deal for me with her was when. I think she was right before her 100th birthday. I would go. I got to go visit and talk to her. And I asked her, you know, I wanted to talk to her. I know she went to church and everything else. But I asked her, are you really saved? Because you're really close. <laughs> to, you know, I like got 100. I mean, you don't really get much closer than that. I was, I'm blown away that she got four more years after that. And this is amazing because she had been in church for many, many years. But she acknowledged that all those years of traditional church she was in, that she wasn't really saved. But that she had really come into a real walk with the Lord since she had been in the nursing care and was in her word. Someone bringing her daily bread and one of the nurses was a believer and someone had sown into her life. And she said, now I know. Now I'm sure. I can't say I was sure all those other years, but right now I know I'm sure. And I, I hear from the Lord. I, I pray and I read every day. And she did that up until she couldn't do it anymore. And I just think, wow, that blows me away because there was a lot of years of church involvement and attendance with no transformation, which which is why I'm so anti-traditional church. I don't want to do stuff just because everybody do stuff. I believe God wants to transform lives. He wants to bring us from death to light. He wants to change us from the inside out. And the work that God does is real and it's visible over time. Now you look at a person that got saved and they, they get going about a year walking. You walk with the Lord for a year. That year ought to be the most different year of your whole life. Because a year before that, when you weren't saved, you were living however you live unsaved. It should be so different what God does in our lives. So I always caution people that say, I've been saved my whole life. Mm. 
I don't know if that's possible. You know, like, did you come out saved? Did you, you know, you could be, some kids grow up in the Lord. And so from their earliest memory, they remember, I've, I've always walked. I've come into a fuller understanding, but I've, I've always walked with the Lord. But I'm more cautious about the people that they lived a whole season of life in rebellion, but they thought they were still saved. been listening to a transforming word as Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Titus. This book is another letter penned by the Apostle Paul. Titus was a respected friend and fellow worker in the ministry. Paul had even traveled with Titus to the island of Crete at one point. So when Paul wrote this letter to Titus, it was meant to encourage him in the work that was going on. In a similar way as people before him, Paul counseled Titus to set up some others that could be trusted to uphold things that were true and pure about the Word and about Christianity. You see, many people were trying to corrupt the Scriptures and were trying to establish false teaching. But Paul was reminding Titus of the things that really mattered and that God's Word needed to be protected. Isn't this how it is today, too? There are all kinds of fronts that come at the church and at God's Word on a daily basis. Being solidly grounded in the Word of God is where your efforts should be so that the truth can be spread. We're happy you have been a part of today's edition of A Transforming Word. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. We believe that life is done better in community, and we'd love to have you be a part of ours. We're located in Inglewood, California, so if you're in the area, we'd love to see you come this Sunday at 9 or 11 in the morning. Or you can join us on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Find all the information you need at CalvaryInglewood.org. Well, we'll be back in Titus next time on A Transforming Word.